are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet, and Happy New Year? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio, only here, lastwordonsports.com. It is Thursday, January 5th, 2023. Happy New Year. Um, And we've got a lot to talk about as the World Cup is over, the holidays are over, uh, and we are looking into the new year. I'm joined now by Daniel Sperry. Dan, we are going to talk some U.S. soccer news, MLS offseason, transfer news as well, and then do our annual MLS New Year's resolution. Mr. Sperry, how are you? I'm doing grand. It's been a long time since I've been able to be on a a show and sitting here talking with Matt, uh, so I'm excited. I apologize. Matt and I were talking before that random tangents are is our love language of our friendship. And so this is going to be a long pod. So uh, bear with us. We'll do our best to stay on track. But it's great to be back talking uh, Major League Soccer and the real New Jersey soccer wives um, of, of America <laughs> for what we get to deal with um, over the next couple of days here. Uh, yes, I, I now feel bad for laughing at that, given the seriousness. So I guess, Dan, let's start out with this. And then we're going to have a very awkward transition to, oh, celebrating the new year and then talking about bad teams and how they're not going to be bad this year. Um, listeners, by the time that you're hearing this, obviously, all of the news has come out and there's been a press conference with U.S. Soccer regarding an investigation going into Greg Berhalter and the fallout from that that ultimately stemmed from the Reina family. Uh, Dan, you're more of the capital J journalist on this, so we both consumed a lot of media on this. I'm going to start explaining what I think is happening in a very just NPR here is straight the facts and the current events and everything. You interrupt me when we get started, and then we're going to talk about what this means. Okay, so listeners, you'll remember as we've covered on this podcast, as I'm sure you're aware, Gio Reyna did not play a whole lot during the World Cup. This made Gio Reyna, Claudio Reyna, his family very upset. It has since come out through uh, through an interview that uh, at a conference, on a leadership conference, that Greg Berhalter interpreted to be off the record, that Dan, I think subconsciously is like, I'm going to say it under the guise that it's off the record, but know that it gets leaked, so I win the PR battle because Claudio and Gio were not playing fair on this. Prior to this, Claudio Reyna goes on a Twitter live spaces with Eric Winalda, basically goes off on Burhalter. Ultimately, it comes out that Gio didn't have the right attitude and mentality going into training. There was a friendly that they played against a club team in Qatar where everyone was taking it seriously. Um, and Gio just wasn't taking it seriously. And he was pouting at the fact that he was unlikely to play a whole lot in the World Cup. Burhalter and his coaching staff had a meeting, discussed how they were going to handle this, whether or not they even wanted to purchase a ticket, a plane ticket to send him home. Ultimately decided that Gio was going to, that they were going to have a conversation with the player, who we now strongly believe to be Gio Reyna. And Gio was going to apologize to the coaching staff. He was going to apologize to his teammates, and he was going to say why he was going to apologize. And then he was going to massively up his uh, intensity. Reporting has since come out during that conversation, unprompted, Uh, and not asked by the coaching staff that players then stood up and started then responding to and criticizing uh, Gio Reyna. Thereby, for me, 
although not in the court of public opinion. I acknowledge Dan on this podcast. I am the I am the triple G apologist when it comes to his tactics. I'm not a Greg Berhalter apologist, but we'll get to in a minute. For me, that vindicated the who was ultimately in the wrong on this. I think both ultimately tried to win the battle in the court of public opinion. Gio wanted to save face for his national team career. Greg Berhalter, understandably, as we now know, is out of contract. And one way or another, it's looking for another job. He is expressed via the Harvard Business Review that he is interested in returning as national team head coach. Presumably, he's still going to be a part of the interview process with that. But if not, he wants another job. And understandably, um, that is going to be that's not going to be the first question that he's going to get now. But it was going to be one of the first questions that he was going to get. Um the Reina family, uh, and then Gio's mom, Claudio Reina's wife, whose name, Danielle, do I have that right, Dan? Okay, Danielle, um, yes, I'm mixing up the the first names of the wives, Um, expressed frustration and disappointment with this, and then in the midst of this, uh, the the Gio parents then tried to, uh, then proceeded to give information to U.S. soccer, uh, possibly to oust Greg Berhalter, uh, basically uh, regarding a I think in the in in the legalese terms, Dan, we can say domestic violence. When uh when Greg Berhalter was a student athlete at uh, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, he was courting his now wife, and they had a dusting up one night their freshman year, I believe, in which ultimately Greg then kicked his. Uh, kicked his then-girlfriend. They separated. They ultimately reconciled the relationship. Greg Berhalter has since, if we're believing that that Greg Berhalter un- underscore on Twitter is actually him, uh, that he sought counseling. and every- Very, very progressive for early 90s incident that you have between male college athlete and then one of a potential number of young females who he could get interest from. Uh, then they send, since reconciled their relationship. They've now been together for 30 years, married for something like 25. They have two children. They have a loving... And happy relationship and everything. All of this obviously gets leaked to the media. U.S. Soccer is having an internal investigation about that, seeing whether or not there's anything else regarding Greg. Everything else is on pause as far as the interview, as far as Greg is concerned in the midst of this. Dan, my big concern, the the thing that I don't, where are the, the statements that we've since gotten from the Reina parents just don't square with me between what their clear initial intents were and then now like clearly wanting you brought up a bunch of old dirt to try and ultimately win the PR battle or on, like on a, w- one scenario you oust Greg Berhalter there's no way um, you know with where we are from the Me Too movement and domestic violence and everything even though Berhalter clearly privately repented privately reconciled with the victim we can call who is now his wife and everything this is something to where we could say like no tolerance for that even if it's in the past and even if you reconciled it we shouldn't be normalizing violence against women Greg you're not going to be the head coach of the national team that then in theory creates a somewhat clean albeit dusty slate for Gio Reyna to then progress with his national team career but like the spare me the perceived false crocodile tears of like the i feel so bad oh and by the way the wives of the of the players now were roommates at the time of the incident at unc by the way claudio and greg have been very good friends for an extended period of time uh they played together on the national team they went to a world cup together uh claudio was greg's best man at the wedding uh, in all of this so like the clearly that relationship has been completely 
completely tattered. Dan, you think that you think when Jossie's artist was checking off the list of people that he was sending his Christmas cards to, he crossed out uh, Caleb Porter and this and everything. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't know how Claudio and Greg like speak to each other after this. Um, so all this is happening. I just the, the so. I feel so bad for the Berhalter family. I feel bad for the children. I feel bad for the wife that like now this like very, very painful thing that they thought that they moved on is now dusted up and being used in this political pawn kind of way. Uh, It's clearly now fairly or unfairly. However, you feel about Greg's statements that he's made about his reconciliation, private individual, and then in the context of his relationship, uh, that that is now going to color, you know, that's the, uh, you know, like, you know, Greg gets a, a job for an MLS team or something else right now. Like on some level, Dan, uh, you know, the club PR or media social media person puts out the tweet. Welcome, Greg Berhalter to such and such club and everything. And somebody's going to be in the comments, you know, anonymous, you know, first name series of numbers. And then their Twitter avatar is just the club crest and everything. Like, why did you hire a wife beater? So now this is now that. So now the. Dirty laundry of the families being aired out and everything. You now have to deal with this being legislated in the court of public opinion on the toxic platform that is USMNT Twitter. And now this is affecting the employability of your husband, who, by the marker for many, had a very successful World Cup and worst case scenario was going to get a really good MLS job sometime in calendar year 2023. And then now, okay, like... Like the, the the bottom barrel, Dan, the bottom barrel is that, okay, who's on the hot seat right now? You know, the bottom barrel is somebody loses four games in a row. It's- Frank Lampard finally, Everton's finally pissed <laughs> off with Frank Lampard. And they say, we want Greg Triple G Burhalter to come in here and states our team okay like go ahead okay like the the, you know like okay but like the like the bottom barrel is like lower tier mls job right now is the absolute worst that gray could do right now a number of european clubs would certainly be interested in him and i still think there would have been a decent shot at him getting the national t job regardless of what anonymous unt mnt twitters and you know you know tactics footy was you know is mentioning in my dms so all of that's airing out and everything. And then the Reynas have since come out and like saying that like they like they feel for the family and everything. But like like I'm questioning the motives and I'm questioning the difference between the timing and what clearly the actions were and the potential intent behind those, Dan. And then the public statements that ultimately we've gotten now from the Reynas of like the, there's a clear like, oh, Gio is a penchant, immature child, you know, at 21 years old, not playing in a World Cup or whatever. Here's what Greg was like as an 18 year old. Or it's like they less oust him so that then he doesn't affect Gio's career whatsoever. And then it's the, oh, but I feel so bad for the family. I feel so bad for my best friend. No, like, how did you, I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you report that, Dan, and know that if there's any legitimate le- legitimacy to it, and that if U.S. soccer actually does a due diligence, it doesn't get leaked. Like, how is the thing that you're sad about is the fact that it became, you, you knew what you were doing, like, stu- like, spare me the crocodile tears in all this. You wanted to win the public war for this, and the big, so the two losers right now, Dan, I think are obviously are obviously the Berhalter family outside of Greg. Like on some level, we have to acknowledge that Greg was the assailant in this. So I remove him from the, the rest of the Berhalters are in the wrong. And I think ironically, the next, the, the, the next, um, you know, most guiltless victim that we have in this is Reyna because is Gio Reyna because Gio, from what he did, he said in his public statement on Instagram, I think ultimately took public accountability in the same way that he took private accountability. Um, 
in uh in the meeting with his teammates and with the coaching staff and everything and he's gone back to uh he's gone back to Dortmund he's playing well and everything and I think he approached it of I'm gonna address my mentality I'm gonna mature a little bit and I've got three and a half years to prove to Greg that I deserve to be part of the squad and work my way and improve that I'm a better option than Brandon Aronson off the bench or than a Tim Weah or than a Yunus Musa and I think that was that was a potential for a really positive thing and now all of this is just gonna look like Gio's a pentulent child and he's the he's the it boy for the two soccer mommy and daddy like helicopter parents that can't stand it and now that's gonna color him in terms of uh, in terms of future club moves potentially and certainly what happens with the net like th- this has now colored him from a personality standpoint to where there is no clean sleep or there is no fresh hey I'm you know I'm coach so and so I've never actually met you before Herb Renard knows about this if Herb Renard gets the USMNT job his view of Gio Reyna is already colored by that and so like I, I don't you're, you're dusting this out to th- this has gone full trench warfare Dan and and the Rainers decided to burn everything down to try and move the Burhalter front back a hundred yards. And I, I hate to say it, but like this is an epitome of American soccer, and like this is this is our worst. We deserve this. Is, this. <laughs> this is American like sports parenthood. Period. I mean, this is it uh, on full display, and it just is so. By the way, let's just say this real quick, dude. Like this is. This is backstabby and bad. This is not as bad as like sleeping with your teammate's wife uh, while their kids are in the room next door. Um, John Harks, Eric Ronaldo, knock knock. If you've never heard of that one, 1998 World Cup, why John Harks was let go from the the U.S. Men's National Team roster was because John Harks was having an affair with Eric Ronaldo's first wife. Um, that I mean, John Terry. Thank God, USMNT Twitter didn't exist for Could that, you Dan. If it was around for that, Soccer I mean, House would have been burned to the ground. <laughs> there, I, I don't know that we have a national team, Dan. If no. USMNT Twitter, with where it's at right now, with GeoGate turning into Rosalind Burhalter Gate, never. It, so I went back and I looked up a bunch of stuff about it because people were talking about it, and I remember I I was not deep enough into US soccer media at the time because I was. Fourteen, fifteen, maybe in 2010 but in 2010 it finally came out on eric ronaldo let it drop uh grant wall wrote an article about it it's all over um sb nation you can go look this up it's legitimate anyways sign up um yeah i i agree with the majority of what you said um i still think i still think in a way that greg is a victim of the reinas in the sense that you know, if I, I, I'm not, I've never been there. I've never been so mad. I wanted to like physically harm my wife. I'm pretty sure he mentioned something about them being under the influence of alcohol, which I know can, obviously we all know that can impair judgment pretty hard. Um, so, right. So he makes this mistake. Um, he's distraught. He goes and gets counseling reportedly. And then she calls him and says, Hey, can we try and make this work? That's what the statement signed by the both of them says that at that point like i don't care that danielle was according to her statement her roommate at the time and was trying to walk her through very serious trauma i believe that was trauma traumatic and i believe that you probably did a she probably did a great job hopefully being alongside her to to do that but it is another thing to then stab that person in the back and weaponize their trauma to further what you think that your child's 
career is. And here's the problem. Geo, like, at no point in any of the events from the World Cup beyond, has Greg been wrong? Has he told a lie about what was going on? And that's the most frustrating thing to me because at some point you have to look at it and say, wow, my kid is being a baby about the role that he was told he was going to get at the World Cup. And instead of being told that that was his role and then being angry about it and going and doing something about it in practice, not by trying to go injure somebody, but by like, go out, show Greg why you should be out there. Make it show in every single practice why you deserve to be on the field for majority of the game every single time. And he didn't do that. He moped about it so bad to the point where teammates were calling him out. And I appreciate teammates coming saying, look, we've moved on from this. We've absolved ourselves from this. We've wiped our hands and moved on. Greg played him 45 minutes when they needed goals against the Netherlands. And like he then showed that I do trust this kid to help us out. You don't put someone on the field when you're down two goals of a knockout match that you don't believe can score a goal for you, right? So you're putting him on there to go do something. That means you believe in his talent, believe in his ability. Like It's just beyond unreal for me to see, one, the effort that Gio gave in the friendlies prior to the World Cup. I know he goes off a little bit injured, wanted to be careful, was very you know worried about making sure he was healthy for the World Cup, which is fine. But like... At some point, you have to accept the role that you're being told, and you have to grow up, be a big boy, put on your big boy pants, and do it. But the the problem is, if it if it's not evident by everything that has happened, his whole life, he has been shown and told that he doesn't have to do things the hard way, and he doesn't know how to get over the hard things. By his parents' actions, we can see that. And sure, I understand the whole, oh, we try to make our kid a winner. A winner doesn't do what Gio did in the camp. And so as a parent, you are now condoning your kid's behavior and the repercussions that come with your kid's behavior by going out and doing this and trying to, oh, she, according to the report that was in ESPN, she called Ernie Stewart because U.S. soccer is one big family. We mean that literally. She calls Ernie Stewart, and on that day, after the the leak of all that information from the conference from Greg, he tells these people, you can believe what you want about why he told it, whether he believed or not he was really on the record. I don't care what you believe on that. What happened was it got out, and it gets out, and her response then is to go and air out three decade old trauma of reportedly your best friend. I mean, it's absolutely low, immature, embarrassing. Um, Claudio, in his own right, was involved in trying to kind of leverage that information against people. Um, and that to me is just so disheartening to see a family do that. My, mind you, I'll, I'll just throw this in one last bit. Remember, Claudio did cut Greg's kid from Austin FC last year. Just saying. I'm not saying that I had anything to do with it, but it was a funny transaction that I went back and thought about of how Seb Berhalter ended up on the Vancouver Whitecaps was because Claudio said, you're not good enough to be on my team. Um, I, I There's a lot of questions that still remain here. Um, does the investigation find any mistruths by Burhalter? Does the investigation find any more wrongdoing by other people? 
um, you know, I there's a lot of things that are possible out of this. There's the questions about Geo. There's the questions about Craig, and I don't know how any of them get answered in the least messy fashion, and that is. That's that's pretty damning for where we're at with U.S. soccer right now. It's disappointing. It's disheartening, um, and I it it's, it just amazes me to see two quote U.S. soccer royalty and, and act like petulant babies over their child's playing time at a World Cup and channel the worst of American sports parent that we can see. Some of the worst. Um, that we've seen and uh, have done so on a grandiose scale um, that really only we can look at now and say we are a true soccer nation for this. For better or worse, we are a true soccer nation for the ridiculousness of scandals um, that continue to happen. And I, you know, I think this has nothing to do with Greg either way. I, whether or not he should deserve the job or whether he should get it back. but if this all comes out that it, I mean, it was literally uh, a coordinated attempt to remove Greg by airing out dirty laundry um, that at this point, I don't know how dirty it is. 30 years later, um, you're sitting there doing to, to do that. Um, if that's how that comes out, I don't know that Claudio will be able to work in U.S. soccer again. And that's just another thing, too, of like, man, it's so it's so frustrating that they only cared about, um, you know, this quote abuse uh, when it w- could be leveraged to gain them something. Greg Berhalter, Dan, his first day officially on the job was December 2nd, 2018. You had four years to point this out. If you genuinely saw that there was a, a moral wrongdoing or something wrong in his personality from in terms of his treatment of a woman that ultimately became the, his wife and their mother of his children. So like, I'm like, I'm sorry, like Danielle, spare me the crocodile teals for how you were standing up for Rosalind and everything. Like, I, I don't think there's any question about the timing of this, Dan, that it was coordinated. That doesn't absolve, uh, that doesn't absolve Greg of anything. I, I assume I'm not a lawyer folks on here and I do not play one on television nor on a podcast that, you know, 30 years out is past whatever statute of limitations for domestic violence would have existed for this action. Whatever. At, at the end of the day, I think the only person that can truly absolve and forgive Greg Berhalter and the only one that I think he's truly answerable in terms of this action is to his wife. And so if they're square, then who am I to question where they're at or ultimately how they got here? But at the same time, like I... So so if there's an investigation and then there's proof and then they, they prove wrongdoing or mistruth, Dan. How does U.S. soccer punish someone who is now technically not an employee of U.S. soccer other than simply say that um, we're removing you from uh, candidacy for the head coaching job? And in that ultimately in, in a weird, you know, bass awkward way where nobody actually wins. The Reigners can claim some form of victory in that because ultimately they got what they wanted in that they got like their backwards revenge as well. They got 
they ultimately they've chosen to drink the poison and as a result greg Berhalter has to pay some penance or some inconvenience for that potentially other interesting question here dan um the or the organization that was founded on an ancient indian burial ground uh you know of of columbus crew scarves and piles of rubble of columbus old historic columbus crew stadium claudio reina is employed by austin fc by Anthony Precourt, who really liked Greg Berhalter when he owned Columbus Crew. And he and the head coach there at Austin FC is Josh Wolf, who was is is Greg's protege and everything. And so, like, how is that not, you know, they're sitting there, you know, the Rapids are starting preseason tomorrow, Dan. But listeners, by the time you listen to this, the Colorado Rapids will report to the preseason. I haven't seen whatever press release Austin has put out to know whether or not they're coming back and everything. But like the players are coming in and like the are, are Claudio and Josh just not going to be in the same room can can can. Uh, can Anthony and Josh be in the same room, but then Claudio has to be on conference call. Like suddenly now that, that club gets super awkward. And if they decide they can't do that for the same reasons now that, uh, Berhalter potentially is, you know, that hiring him would be a poison chalice. Then like what MLS team is going to hire, uh, Claudio with the drama and the, and the public implications that are going to come with that as well. Like the, you know, you, you took down the guy who, in hindsight, was right about your son, tried to teach him a lesson, ultimately tried to get a result and everything. You were mad about it. And in doing so, all you've done is dug every money into this giant pit of crap. And now I'm not sure how any of you get out of it other than Gio just not posting on social media, being, you know, straight and narrow at Dortmund, and then just hoping that in three and a half years he can rehabilitate that stuff. And then also say like, hey, mom and dad, like, I've got this. Like, don't, don't call the head coach. Don't do anything. Anything that I'm talking to with him is between me and my agent. And then him probably telling his agent like stuff between us is maybe kind of private compared to my mom, and my dad. So I, I, I don't know how and I don't we don't have a lot of information. Let's wait for the investigation to happen. Dan, can we awkwardly transition into MLS team New Year's resolutions? Okay, New Year's resolution, everybody, be better, do better, be best, be a better version of yourself in so, so many ways. Um, in the spirit of that, Dan, what should DC United's resolution for 2023, whilst holding the wooden spoon that they are, um, that they're eating their, their humble pie from? <laughs> Learn how to defend? I, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> Wayne Rooney will certainly bring his uh, fun... Uh, all or nothing style coaching. You see the dressing room speeches that he is given with Derby County um, pumps the living crap out of you. Um, um, I'm I'm a big Rooney guy. I'm a Manchester United guy. I love Wayne Rooney. Um, I have Rooney kits. I do not have Ronaldo kits. Um, I had Wayne Rooney posters. I did not have Ronaldo posters. Wayne Rooney was my dude. I couldn't wear Nike cleats, but I did want those T90 cleats that Rooney always had um, that were just silky, beautiful cleats. Um, I I believe in him as a coach actually a lot, and I believe that also believe that the roster is garbage um, and needs a significant overhaul. Um, you still have Christian Benteke. You're adding uh, Mateus Click to the middle um, from uh, from Leeds, um, a high pressing guy who I think will fit in stylistically really well with MLS um, as a high pressing box to box kind of a creator um because he is more of an attacking guy um a perfect example is someone that you would think of as like a hybrid eight and ten my 
favorite example of that is Felipe Gutierrez with Sporting back in 2018 and 2019. Um, the type of player that he was, who's defensive stalwart. Such a question vibes in, a little bit too, but yeah, but gives. I mean, ten goals, ten assists, incredibly possible if he's healthy. Um, so I'm really interested to see the partnerships that form there. I think there's a lot of decent players there. I just think the defensive side just lacks a lot in terms of quality. Um, and I, I'm very curious to see what eventually happens um, with that squad uh, and how they continue to build it out. I'm sure Wayne will probably bring more folks over in the summer window. Um, that makes more sense to me, and that, that seems more likely because um, he'll probably bring more European guys that he would have um, connections with over then. But, um, yeah, my, I mean, my biggest thing for DC United is to not be miserable. Um, they have some attacking talent, and I think they'll be able to put stuff together, but they were just so poor defensively that, you know, by the time they're actually, like, knocking on the front door, it's already, like, 3-1. So, uh, yeah, don't suck on defense anymore if you're a DC United that first DC United versus Montreal game is going to be so interesting, Dan. With, uh, it's going to be a zero zero draw. We don't. We both. We can just. Early I, 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 I want the I want the sideline antics, and I want whatever Instagram or Snapchat story that uh, Hernan Lasada is going to post at three a.m. after that game. Moving on, Toronto FC. Um, so I think they. We knew it was going to be a roster build, and I think we knew ultimately, Dan, given where they were at the beginning of last season, that it was going to be a wash. I think now is reestablish what your baseline is, which for me is a playoff team, and I think certainly a potential multi-trophy contender, if we're counting them obviously as a favorite for um, the Canadian Championship. So Canadian Championship notwithstanding, can you realistically compete for a home playoff game? Can you be a dark horse for an MLS Cup or a supporter shield? I love Lorenzo Insigne. I love Bernadeschi. They've spent a whole bunch of money. Matt Hedges was an absolute get this is like this is like the rebuild dan of like the insigne is there uh is there um uh is there giovinko and then matt hedges is like this year's drew more that they got in i think 2015 2016 that first off season with free agency and so now like all the pieces by the end of last season most of the pieces had uh most of the pieces were on the board most of them have been assembled by bob bradley and everything now i think they've got a few of the missing pieces that they had bringing back victor vasquez i think is going to be a sneaky good like almost like uh el Sino off the bench option as well if they can just assemble it from the start and everything no question this is a playoff team and i think this team does have a very high ceiling um in the eastern conference dan your San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, I, I mean, just think of the meme of the dude just poking something with a stick, like do something like I please like attempt to make this roster better um, uh, and you will have a good year. Uh, I don't even think the goal for the Earthquakes should be to make the playoffs. It should be to like not be within the bottom two teams of the of their conference every year. This year, again, they were last. Um, I I think there's. Uh, last year should be incredibly frustrating for the supporters. Um, they went into it, it already a dumpster fire um, and then decided to keep Almeida through it all while he was um, pitching fits and doing all this kinds of stuff. Um, and then, you know, they go and hire Lucci, Lucci gang um, uh, coming into town and Lucci's assembled a really solid staff. Ian Russell, Steve Ralston. These are guys who've been around the club for a while great MLS dudes, um, good coaches, very, very good coaches that I'm, I'm excited to see the staff that he created there. Um, but 
they got to have players. And they've got Jeremy Ibubise, they've got Christian Espinoza, and they've got a whole lot more question marks because guys like Tommy Thompson aren't coming back. Jackson, you will like what what version of him are are, are we are you ever going to get? Um, they got added two center back, two defenders, a center back, and I think a left back um, in the last window that nobody has seen play more than like one game. Uh, they've got a lot of decent center backs that are okay, but they they can't they they just played helter skelter soccer for so long that do it does a whole off season and a whole preseason in a normal system actually make this team somewhat decent and um you know there's a it's a team with just so many question marks because Kate Cowell has stagnated and that was a, a huge piece moving forward for them and now you know he's a great bench option but like uh, are you relying on him to start every game and score every game not not right now you're not um and the one guy who's been really good for them Benji Kankanovic is trying to be stolen by Matias Almeida at AEK Athens um for two million dollars he's trying to get him from the Quakes uh the Quakes don't want to move him uh until the summer and so there, there's all these things going on here that like the GM has done. There's no free agency signings. Um, they are more exits than entrances on the roster. Um, and they're at a point where, as Matt said, clubs report tomorrow. I'm going to Sporting KC's first 2023 media availability as part of the 2023 season schedule tomorrow. They have one hole left on their roster and the San Jose earthquakes have like 10. And I, I just think of like, if you don't do something, you're going to end up in the same spot that you were last year and continued waiting disinterest in, and from supporters and season ticket holders. So just freaking do something, Chris Leach, um, because at some point, your ownership's going to be like, what the heck, we're losing money because um, it's going to be at a point where they'll be hemorrhaging money. Uh, moving on. Uh, for the record, folks, we're not splitting this by conference. We're just doing this straight bottom of the top uh, supporter shield, and that worked out conveniently, obviously, because the MLS Cup winner and the runner-up in MLS Cup were LAFC and Philly Union, respectively. So moving on, Dan, Houston Dynamo, kind of in a similar mold. If we're talking tactically, Dan, I really wanted to say get something better out of Ache Ache because I don't know that he was particularly good, nor that the system really fit for him. Ultimately, they were with a lame duck head coach who ended up getting hot fired. But I think just bigger picture, like I'm not super enthused about Ben Olsen. He's been out of the game for a while. I want to believe that he's a self-aware and smart enough guy to have evolved his tactical ideas and his personality to be something more than what his DC United teams were. We've seen, I'm not going to say a renaissance, but certainly a positive pivot and growth from Pavel Mastroeni from his time with the Colorado Rapids to his time at RSL. Could we see that out of Ben Olsen? Is that a possibility in the multiverse league soccer? Yes, absolutely. Do I think that it's likely? No. And so I'm just break out of your mold and prove that you're something other than a team that can play in fun, crazy games, but fundamentally drops points at homes is cannon fodder on the road in the Western Conference and is just a bad team with a half-empty stadium where it's just the same one chant that I hear from the same hundred Dynamo fans every single year. It's new ownership, so they're going to spend money, so there should be younger, exciting uh, players. They seem to be leaning into the Central South American Latin vibes as well, so that's some aspect of your identity, but like, prove to me you're something other than what you've been basically post-Dominic Kinnear for the last decade as well, and just like you with the Quakes, Dan, like, I, I will believe it when I see it, and I, I will wait 
to write the article of I have been proven wrong and pleasantly surprised by Ben Olsen. I will not be waiting for with bated breath, however. Dan, your Chicago Fire. My Chicago Fire. Um, yeah, last year was a nice return from the god-awful fire spiky head logo that they had. Um, not much of, for, for a while, not bad on the field, too. Um, they were getting points. They were getting shutouts. Uh, Gaga Slonina had a lot to do with that. And then they had to play Bobby Shuttleworth and goal, and that didn't go very well. Um, so <laughs> the rest of the team uh, has a lot of issues uh, that I thought uh, they've done their best to address. Um, Tehran is a, is a solid player that they've got um, uh, within their club. They added, you know, Shakiri, I think, showed out at the World Cup. I believe Shakiri's got a lot of quality. Um, I think if put in the right situation there, you have that. You have Kasper Shabilko who can score goals for them. Um, I believe he's still with them, correct? Did he get traded at some point, or am I wrong? I, I'm 90. Kasper Shabilko, I'm 90% sure he's with Chicago still. Matt's Matt's fact checking. Okay, he's with Chicago, so thank God. Um, I think there's a lot of quality pieces here. I think it's going to be about putting them all together. Um, they have a lot of young players that they've been looking at. Uh, if I if I remember correctly, Chicago um, was in playoff contention for most of the season and just continued to drop um, and collapse throughout the end. Um, I. I, I believe it's a team that it can be chaotic at times, um, but I I think there's a lot there for them. And I, I think if they just learn to find ways to not implode in games um, that they did, there were stretches where they'd be really good and then they'd give up multiple goals in a stretch. They'd give up multiple red cards. They'd lose their heads. Um, they were one of the most red carded teams in the league last year. Um, so if they can find a way not to implode, um, in the middle of a match uh, and they're going to keep themselves tight in games and if you play close games, there's a good chance that you're going to pick up a lot of points if you keep playing in one goal games. Um, so I, I I think this fire team has a low ceiling um, in, in reality, but they have a low enough ceiling. The ceiling's high enough that they should be a playoff team if they cannot implode. Dan, I want you on the record right now. Got yes or no playoffs for the fire? No. Okay. Still no. <laughs> okay. Um, and Dan, I don't know if you saw my thumbs up. Yes, Casper Shabilko is still with Chicago Fire. Okay. Um, so moving on to Atlanta United, I think you have to trust Garth Loggerway, and I think you have to trust that you have to trust him even when he's tearing down things that you actually liked as well. I would include the coaching staff in on this, Dan. Um, uh, you know, obviously, Garth Loggerway has lucked out pretty well in terms of the coaches that he has inherited. You know, Jason Christ at RSL, and then obviously um, Brian Smetzer at um, Seattle Sounders. And I think you also have to trust him if and when and for how much money Joseph Martinez departs for the club, that ultimately it's for the best for the club and everything. So I would release Garth Loggerway. Fans, I would trust every single decision that he makes, like even in a vacuum, that it is part of a greater plan that's going to get this club back to being what it was and what it's certainly capable of, albeit with, I think, a different identity and a different ideology. I think you also have to trust that this is going to take a little bit of time. You know, um, we've never seen Garth Loggerway actually have to do like a proper rebuild. Dan, you know, like he, it was a gradual buildup. It was, it was moving from strength to strength at RSL. And then really it was just maintaining, you know, the best club in major league soccer at Seattle. Like this is a, this is closer to, um, you know, like if somebody were, if Pep Guardiola were to retire tomorrow, 
like, and somebody taking over from Manchester City, that's way different. This is closer to Eric Ten Hag coming in at Manchester United. Like, this place is rotten down. It needs to be root uprooted, you know, root and stem. You know, they just sold Franco to Sao Paulo and everything. I think there's a realistic possibility that I think this team is closer to what Toronto FC was last year than say what um than say what LAFC was two years ago when they narrowly missed out on making the playoffs. And so I would release the guard. Arthur Blank, you should be just writing him. It, it should be a, a checkbook with your signature on every single page and then just a blank checkbook. And fans, I think you have to trust every single move, even if it looks like it doesn't make sense or it's a little wonky or you're sad because it's a player that you liked, including Joseph Martinez. You have to trust that it's for the better men of everything. Um, Dan, you just mentioned that you're going to be at uh, Media Day. What's what, what should SKC be focusing on? Well, uh, we don't get to talk to any new center backs because I haven't signed any new center backs yet. However, um, the, one of those center backs, the biggest role is to learn how to defend a freaking cross. Um, this is a team, uh, a thing that this team was just absolutely miserable at last year. Um, the final 10 games of the season, they didn't concede very much. They did. It was on a cross. Um, uh, before that, there was a stretch. Um, if you haven't checked out the great SKC fan TV, Kevincho, um, my friend, uh, Kevin on Twitter or TikTok, um, he did a compilation of him. I believe it was the Montreal game. And he said before the game, he said, if sporting, if we concede a goal on another freaking cross, I'm going to unmute my, unplug my mic and just scream into the void. And like literally five seconds later, cross header goal you can just see him unplug the mic <laughs> scream it's a great bit full like a full yeah, arsenal tv dan uh we're talking uh mark goldbridge but with some latin flair and a whole lot more entertainment and better opinions um i i love uh, kevin kevin's a good friend of mine we chat a lot um and uh i i i appreciate his get his bit um, I think I know a lot of players actually appreciated his bit. Um, one of the very first streams he ever did was that miserable seven to two loss in Portland last season. And the TikTok from it was just a riot. It's hilarious. Um, anyways, as I'm done talking about someone not actually affiliated with Sporting KC, um, the, the biggest lament from fans last season, I think during the stretch run was that there was still the defenders that were still conceding way too many goals off of crosses. And it was just guys not being willing to compete and either put themselves in the right position or get themselves in the right position to win a simple aerial duel. Um, Nicolas Isimat Marine came in pretty decent towards the end of the year, but he was healthy for a majority of the season and wasn't doing that during the during the, the stretch run where Sporting were at the bottom. So um, if Sporting KC learns how to defend a cross, a simple, simple cross, um, I, I can guarantee you that this team is not going to drop as many points as they did last year. Sporting should be a playoff team regardless. Everybody should be healthy. I don't even care if Polita and Kenda aren't healthy. Um, the way we saw Tommy and Agata um, light uh, light a fire under that team and turn them around towards the end of the season, um, I think uh, shows that this team still had a lot of life in them. They were just really beleaguered with injury and mentality issues that just steamrolled or not steamrolled, but snowballed um, into the situation that they were in last year. But over the final 10 games of the season, the best team in major league soccer was sporting Kansas city. I believe that's closer to their true form. I think you'll see a lot more of that, but they got to learn how to defend across. 
moving on to the CONCACAF champions and the Club World Cup bound but playoff missing Seattle Sounders. Dan, for me, just from a regular season standpoint, I think established their normal. Um, you know, obviously, I think as soon as they won CCL, they knew it was going to be an uphill battle to make playoffs and everything. And ultimately, like everything that could have gone right for them in CCL for them to win it, then everything from that point on in the season, everything that could have gone wrong um, did. Um, I do have to question what they're doing from a roster build standpoint, just because they don't have the, you know, galaxy brain that is um, Garth Lagerway anymore. You know, there's some rumblings now to the extent that it matters, Dan. I don't know if you've seen New Who Twitter's been fun with the re- um, reference to the, what's the Lagoon Club that I probably am going to mispronounce them. Um, LOSC is the acronym. Um, Leo, thank you. Um, and then New Who also is apparently uh, back home playing soccer in a ditch. Dude's built different. So questions maybe about New Who's future. Um, we now know from pretty reliable reports from people inside MLS circles that Aaron Long will be going somewhere in the Western Conference that is not Seattle Sounders. But Dan, just simply having this team back like a proper, you know, this is probably this might be the longest offseason in Seattle Sounders history because they missed the playoffs. It was a longer offseason because of the um uh, because of the World Cup and everything. And correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, just because they won CCL doesn't get them into Champions League this year, right? I might have that wrong. So, but like the point is they've had a solid three or four months off after what was ultimately a crazy um, end of the season that they had. Um, so I think that's a, um, so I think that's certainly a variable um, there. So I think just they'll be healthy, they'll be freshed off and everything, and I think they'll be coming back with very much revenge on their eyes with the fact that, you know, they missed the playoffs and everybody's going to hound them for the fact that they were the first Sounders team to miss the playoffs. So reestablish normal, um, do everything you can to be competitive and represent MLS and yourself well in the Club World Cup. I think a semifinal would be fantastic success, Dan. I'm not betting any money that they're going to beat Real Madrid, though. Um, you know, and then get back to being the playoffs and doing what the Sounders do in Major League Soccer, which is owning the Western Conference and competing for if not winning trophies um and then moving on to the new england revolution dan i'm just i'm really curious like bruce arena how many years he has left on his contract and like they're building it in a very bruce kind of way right now you know they traded for um what was the center back with nashville who um dave romney who uh they had at la galaxy who they brought in everything and so bruce is still building in a very much mls 2.0 very bruce arena ish kind of way and I'm just I'm starting to wonder if like that has aged out from that standpoint Dan so I think I think at some point like if they're all in on Bruce then if they're all in on that then I think there needs to be some level of adaptation or wrinkle that we saw from Bruce Serena like when it took him seven or eight months to figure out the why midfield for the galaxy that was different from the 4-4-2 or the 4-2-3-1 that he had for DC United so there needs to be not a Bruce revolution ha 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 see what I did there but certainly a Bruce pivot in there and then I think if they're if, if they are able to pivot slightly then they can still be a very competitive team and I think similar to um you know, similar to Sporting Kansas City, similar to Seattle, they just had a lot of things go wrong last year that kind of snowballed on them as well. I'd expect them to compete for the playoffs again. I just don't know that I've seen enough from them from an offseason, like, rebuild standpoint to be super confident in terms of them contending. But just simply um, being back and, and and being healthy and renewed in that way I think will be good. So, um you know, a slight pivot from Bruce, or at the very least, I think then maybe uh, people above him uh, need to be thinking about how long this is going to go on and then what they're defining as success. Because Bruce was brought there to win MLS Cup and he did a really good job winning Supporters Shield, but 
Robert Kraft brought him in for the one thing, the one trophy that he does not have next to all of his Super Bowls. Um, Dan, Charlotte. Uh, so don't my my number one goal for them is to uh, not regress. Um, that's your New Year's resolution. Uh, there are um, a lot of teams who have done worse, um, like uh, in their second season uh, in MLS, um, and I think in a club where you change the head coach almost within the first 10 games of uh, your existence um, and then get the boost that you get, you know, interim managers always have this thing about like the fact that they're still playing for their job, uh, like the entire time. Right. And so when the question always is when you give the interim manager the job, do they continue the work that they did or does it change because their vision has changed? Um, their vision goes from needing to get results to try and get this job to, okay, I have a little bit of wiggle room here. I can relax. I can do other things with the future in mind. And maybe that affects results on the field. Um, this was a team that was long, a little long in the tooth in some certain spots, and they didn't really get younger in any of those places. Um, they have some good attackers. Um, they were able to nearly make the playoffs, and they were pretty darn close to getting into the postseason in their first year. Um, yes, plenty of teams have made the playoffs in their first season, uh, but for a team that um, when the manager says we're effed um, before the start of the season to be like that close to like actually making the playoffs, quite impressive. Um but I think some of it was a little miraculous. I think some of it helps to play in the Eastern Conference because there are a lot of bottom feeders to beat up on um, in that place and that you'll pick up points off of. Um, if I recall, I don't really remember Charlotte picking up any like wins that made me like drop my jaw and you're like, wow, my God, this Charlotte team totally surprised me here. Um, the teams that they beat were DC United and teams like, uh, you know, towards the bottom of the table. Um, so I think it's a, it's an interesting team. I think they have a coach that the players really do like to. Um, but the number one thing for them is to not regress. Um, if they can keep themselves mid-table into the playoff fight this year, um, I don't think what I've seen so far that the changes are enough to push them over the ledge into the playoffs. Um, but I, I not to say that they can't. Um, but I just I, I don't see them quite as a playoff team, but they were definitely not as bad as I thought they were going to be last year. Um, and so when you have a season that kind of goes about as good as it can, given the start and where you were at before the season started, um, you can't fall into something worse and give those fan, that fan base that you've cultivated now very quickly um, something to lose interest over. Um, so I'd, I'd like to see them either build on it or just find a way to stagnate into that same jockeying for a final playoff position into the final weeks of the season spot. And I think they'll continue to uh, capture interest around their market, not just in North Carolina, South Carolina, and that Eastern coast as well there. So um, good luck, Charlotte FC, but please don't regress. Uh, moving on to the Colorado Rapids, uh, Dan, stay healthy. You know, this time last season, they had already had a torn ACL. Um, they had three before the start of the season. Let's see if I can remember this, Dan. So it was Bubakar Keda. Um, Ali Raz broke his tibia, I think, two months into the season. You had Brian Galvan, who also had an ACL injury. And then I want to say 
sometime between late July and maybe Labor Day, they had Adama um, Traore also get an injury. And then you had Jack Price that was in and out between the calf injury and then the punctured lung cracked rib that he had as well. Um, Dan, if it's just like a baseline healthy Colorado Rapids last season, I think they make the seventh seed. If you look at it just at where the team both historically and then last year with and without Jack Price, I think they're just under one and a half or it's like 1.4 points per game with Price, and then it's just about one point per game without him as well. You know, Dan, if he doesn't, if Minnesota, uh, if, the, if that Minnesota player doesn't run into him and Price doesn't fall down on his own elbow and crack his rib and anything, the Rapids get five more points. They make the playoffs and everything. So clean bill of health. And then if I'm talking about for an individual player, Dan, I don't know that there's been a more... Um, like inside baseball-y style, like a uh, uh, Revenge of the Island of Misfit Toys distressed ascent move in Rapids history other than Kevin Cabral. Like, And so can they get something out of him? I, I, it'd be a huge coup for, you know, for the Galaxy to be paying half of his salary and Greg Vanny couldn't get anything out of him in two years for Robin Frazier and the plucky Burgundy boys to get a tune out of that player as well. Can they rehabilitate or get something out of a player that LA Galaxy fans were actively booing when he was on the ball in a playoff game? I think it's a really interesting individual question or a New Year's resolution for Kevin Cabral. Be better than you were for the LA Galaxy, but we can say that about a lot of LA Galaxy players, Dan. Uh, Dan, Vancouver Whitecaps. Oh, I caps. Uh, so as the uh, eloquently put, uh, incredible goalkeeper Guillermo Ochoa said, um, uh, who posed a question to, or made a comment, right? U.S. soccer. And they look at themselves in the mirror, the man that they want to see is Mexico. And then we have the whole man in the mirror drama um, after the Del Cicero in Cincinnati. Um, my question to Vancouver is, who are you? Who is the man in the mirror that you want to see when you come out? Because for a while last year, Vancouver were really miserable. And then they went on a tear and nearly made the playoffs and then bummed out again. Um, the year before that, they were god-awful. I mean, fired the head coach, miserable. Uh, Vanny Sartini comes in and uh, turns them around. They make the playoffs, get thumped by Sporting KC after arrogantly saying that they'll beat everybody in the playoffs and we're on a hot streak, only to get their butts handed to them by Graham Zussi. Um, I, I am intrigued to see what this team is because at times <clears> – <throat> They're really fascinating, and I think they can play some pretty decent soccer. But, like, Vanny Sartini got away from the soccer that made them so good during the second half of 2021. Um, And in 2022, that's not who that team was for a very good portion of the season. Then, when they started playing better, they started playing like the old Vanny Sartini team that, like, we came to expect when he was the head coach. So who are they? Are they going to be the Vanny? Is it going to be Sartini ball from the get go? Or are they going to regress into this team that drops deep like, uh, you know, Mark Dos Santos era all over again um, and puts, you know, eight players, eight, nine players behind the ball at all times and attempts to do it. So I'm very curious to, to see who this team is. Who are the Vancouver Whitecaps? Who are they? That's my question. Who are the Whitecaps? Because I I don't know who they are, and I think they are stuck in between the team that they want to be. Um, so uh, I, I'm very that is going to be their what they need to answer as part of their resolution for this year. Who are you? 
and what have you done with Sartini Ball Whitecaps? And why are you not Sartini Ball Whitecaps anymore? Dan, can we go back? We we talked all about that with U.S. Soccer and didn't bring up the fact that Anthony Hudson has continued to fail upward and now will be an interim head coach, substitute teacher for January camp as well. Like, that is the least... As, as the Colorado Rapids beat writer for Last Word on Soccer and the managing editor of the Burgundy Wave, like, the fact that I didn't even bring it up and that's the least interesting thing that has happened in U.S. soccer in the last 48 hours just completely baffles me. But onward to Columbus Crew, Dan, who... <clears throat> I'm simply... Dan, if they just... Don't drop half the points that they drop from a winning position from the 70th minute on. Caleb Porter still has a job. So I'm just going to simply say, like, yeah, you know, Wilford Nance, do exactly what Cater Porter did last year, but then actually have some, like, uh, establish some, like, defensive metal, some mentality and everything, something you did very, very well. Collective defending and then defending a lead when it was necessary to see out an S-house games like you did for Montreal. You simply do that for Columbus Crew. Columbus Crew have a home playoff game. You do that really well and also do it in a way that still elevates and is a force multiplier for a Lucho, a Lucas Alarion, and maybe one other player as well. This team's a dark horse for the for the supporter shield or a number one seed in the Eastern Conference legitimately. And so I'm going to stay because I think it's really that simple. Uh, Dan, Portland Timbros. Yeah, that was a pretty easy one. Uh, I believe last year I had Columbus as my pick to win the whole Eastern Conference and it never happened. Um, Portland, I, this is a hard one because there's so many problems that are out of the players' hands. And in reality, like it's going to be in the players' hands to like actually go freaking do this on the field. Um, but Diego Chara is increasingly getting older. Um, a lot. I, I have questions about whether or not the attacks going to work. Sebastian Blanco's gone. Um, I, I just don't know who this team is anymore. And I don't see them attempting to fix things because everybody at the club who's a decision maker has been ousted and moved on from and booted. And there are it's a significant upheaval that like, how can you go out and like have a GM do a proper like the guy that you've worked with as your GM forever? while you are trying to sell your women's team over here um, and worried about all the potential lawsuits and everything that's potentially going to come their way through all of the U.S. soccer reports and USL reports, um, not to mention the own issues that they have had of covering up their own players' issues of domestic violence. Um, I I am... I don't like good my my, my resolution I, I genuinely is just simply like good luck like I don't the, the Portland Timbers situation at some point has be is going to have become so freaking toxic that it is un it is unable to be replicated um uh the, the success that they've had on the field will be unable to be re- replicated uh, because they won't every decision maker at the club is worried about other things at the moment uh, other than making this team better on the field and this team is in dire need of getting better in a lot of places on the field um, I you know they've, they've been a fringe playoff team for a very long time they have not been a true top three shield type team uh, for quite a few years now at this point and so my worry with this Timbers team um, is that this is they are they are arguably in almost the same place on the field as Seattle was last year, um, but 
you have to add the absolute cluster you know what uh of what's going on in the front office behind all of that and i just i i have a hard time finding anything positive out of this out of this portland team um i know their fan base does feel the same way at this point um i have a lot of timbers fan friends that are just beside themselves over the you know everything that has gone on and it's made them disinterested into what this team is now they'll still support they'll still have tons of people at the games they'll still sell out their games um but there's something different about the timbers um since all this has gone on and i don't think it's going to be good for them um until it goes away and i i just don't know what they're doing on the field in terms of trying to replace players who are bad for them um so my my resolution is good luck and don't uh don't don't hurt yourself i don't know like that i i really am at a loss for words with this portland team because i cannot see what vision they have if they have any vision going forward maybe that's the resolution find a vision Moving on to Real Salt Lake. First of all, Dan, I, we'd be remiss without reporting, uh, without commenting on and bringing up a Tom Bogert bomb. Um, he tweeted, what is it, 6.40 p.m. Mountain Time tonight on uh, January 5th. So subject to change by the time you hear this, folks. Um, uh, at Tom Bogert, uh, source uh, Real Salt Lake are finalizing a potential club record signing of Colombian winger Andres Gomez from Millonarios. Um uh, deal would be around $4 million. Gomez is 20 years old, and he has 13 goals and 6 assists in around 4,000 minutes played with uh, Millonarios. Um, this would be, um, he would hit RSL's cap at a U-22 initiative signing to the extent that that matters. Um, I would say, you know, Dan, I think we've, uh, Pablo Mastroeni, as I mentioned earlier, uh, vis-a-vis Ben Olsen, has reinvented or certainly shown, you know, an evolution and a maturity in terms of his tactics and his personality in a way that certainly is effective. He has found a club and an ownership group that's leaning into him, a group of players that really like him, um, you know, and a club culture that I think were, you know, has really found itself now finally in a really good place. I'd like to see them be able to pivot while they are a very competitive team, while they're a very difficult team to play against. They take, uh, you know, they take care of business at home and everything. They kind of have one very ugly style of play of winning. They're, they're one dimensional in that regard. And so I'm really waiting to see like a full on pivotal change and difference in terms of what they're capable of being. You know, I have, I'm not saying they have to be full tiki taka or, um, you know, whatever we want to call Manchester City right now as well. But, you know, Dan, we've seen where there's possession sporting Kansas City overlapping fullbacks and then there's pressing mid block. I'm not going to say like full on like what Tunisia was able to do at the or Morocco, excuse me, was able to do at the World Cup. But I'd like to see a little bit more of that. I'd like to see it not, hey, we're in our default mode network and then we're just going to get out of that slightly and then pivot depending on situations. I'd like to see enough of a second move counter um, that they have to their um, to their primary setup and something that in certain tactical situations they will start out as. You know, um, Robin Frazier even has just a minor pivot as well that he really liked when he still had three good center backs with him where at home it would be mostly a 3-4-3 and then on the road it would be a 4-3-3. And then what they did, there were a lot of similarities but some differences. I haven't fully seen that. So I haven't seen the, the full hero's journey and evolution and um, maturity and self-awareness of Pablo Mastroeni. You know, we're on like 
step seven or eight of that. We're uh, we're 24 minutes into a 27 minute episode of Rick and Morty, Dan, and we're waiting for like the Morty to figure out that one final step, and then for uh, and then for one meta comment from Rick to kind of wrap it up, but also say it didn't matter in the end because Demir Krylach is not Carlos Vela. But also, if we could just get a medical summoning circle for Demir Krylach, because I think realistically, Dan, I think if Krylach is in that one, I think RSL could very easily won that game against Austin. But um, in any case, uh, moving on to the uh, moving on to Orlando City, Daniel. This is another who are you question, but this is for um, specifically tailored to who are they without Junior Urso. Um, I this is a team that has uh, Caleb Porter or not Caleb Porter, Pareja, Oscar Pareja um, has is a great man motivator. Um, gets his team to play with a, a lot of emotion. Um, Junior, but he needs a player to channel that on the field. Um, and I think when he lost that a little bit at FC Dallas and a few players that um, moved on, stopped, stopped, weren't there to play with that type of emotion in the field for them anymore. Um, uh, and that, that intensity, they all moved on. And guess what happened? Uh, you know, things started going south for Pareja there. Um, they've lost Junior Urso in the midfield. I uh, The guy is a, kind of a lion in there. Um, Pedro Gaiesi, the, the goalkeeper, is a really loud vocal motivator. Um, and even Schlegel um, is a character, but he's not a very good player that demands to be on the field at every waking moment like Junior Urso was. And so my question is, like, what do you do with Junior without Junior Urso on that team? Um that is a team that needs that drive, that engine in the middle, and Urso has been that for the last two years, uh, where we've seen probably, arguably, the best soccer out of Orlando City in their existence. Um, so I, I have a lot of questions about who this team is going to be without Urso, um, and if they have someone else that can find that drive for them, or they uh, someone steps up. Um, like, do they go bring in somebody that has that for them or does someone step up um, to help lead that team? Um, uh, and maybe with a little bit more consistency, uh, that team continues to uh, step into the. They are extremely close to potentially being one of the best teams in Major League Soccer, but they're missing things here and there and what has gotten them so close has been that drive and so when you lose that i don't know if they've added the other things necessary to propel them into the upper echelon of mls teams and that means that you're somewhere in the middle fighting for um you're like you know your your ceiling is pipping a home playoff game versus the the floor of you know not making missing out on the playoffs on the final day um that's who orlando are are dangerously close to continuing to be um and they are they were incredibly close to pipping out of that and being a team that you expect to have a home playoff game um every year so i have questions about this orlando team but i think um i i'm curious to see how it gets answered uh especially um with the the guy at the helm in pareja who has been someone that we've come to expect um getting that type of thing out of his team Moving on to the other Florida MLS team, Inter-Miami. Uh, Dan, this is kind of... I almost posted this meme uh, the other day about U.S. soccer, but it's the uh, Shrek, uh, could you be quiet for five minutes from Shrek 2 when Donkey's making a little pomping noise when they're in the carriage together? That's overall how I felt about Inter-Miami's existence in Major League Soccer. They had the stuff with the under-the-table payments and the sanctions out of the placement Tweety. 
contract. And obviously there was the ultimately what was a good arc and what worked out in the end in terms of, um, you know, between the coaching staff and the ownership and Gonzalo Higuain last weekend or, you know, last year as well. But, you know, ultimately I just like to see like no drama. Like, can we just focus and like be a cohesive team uh, where most people like each other for the the whole of the season and everything um and so you know i think that's something that's certainly possible it took us a while to get there it has not been a pretty road and if we're believing the reports that are coming out right now dan about uh inner miami potentially in serious talks with um Atlanta United for Joseph Martinez. Martinez can be there and be a little bit, you know, revengey, punchy, but maybe not, you know, dumping over tables when he doesn't like, um, when he doesn't like what the coaching staff is saying and everything. Then I think they can have a drama-free and ultimately focused and much more successful regular season as well. But uh, with that, Dan, moving on to Minnesota. Uh, yeah, my resolution here is for is uh, basically I wrote uh, Adrian Heath trust your striker challenge. Um, Adrian Heath, uh, they spend I feel like this team spends like at least a couple million dollars on a striker every single season, and they keep resorting back to the same ones. Um, and then he doesn't trust them, and then it goes back to another guy, and then they trade somebody, and then they trade for somebody else, and then they go sign somebody, and then nobody ends up being in form, and they're playing Robin Lottett's striker at the end of the season. That's like their best offensive uh, threat they've ever come through. Um, at some point, it's a fault of Adrian Heath. Um, at, at some point, it is a fault of uh, Mark Watson, who's bringing the players into this club. At some point, somebody will you know pay for these faults um but it's not anytime soon and it doesn't seem like it's going to be anytime soon because minnesota still doesn't do anything about it um so adrian heath trust your striker for more than like six seven eight games and just see maybe what happens and maybe maybe um maybe you'll have a shot Minnesota United played their best soccer that I've ever seen in the first two games of the regular season uh, in 2020, in 2020, when Kevin Molino was balling out like no other we've ever seen. And Luis Samaria was like banging goals right away. And they have literally never recaptured that form. And so I feel like that's why uh, he like changes out whatever he wants to do every other game because they literally like don't know what they're like. They've had two games of ever actually having a consistent strike core. Um, DPs have failed there. I, I just am, I have a lot of questions about all the decisions that get made at that club, um, but everybody still keeps their job. So I'm just, just challenging you to trust the team that you've put out there for a little while before you go tinker and make a defensive meta striker for some reason, because that's what you feel like is going to work in the next morning. All right, moving on to FC Cincinnati, Dan, who for the first time in their MLS history were not bad, made the playoffs, scored a bunch of goals, were a fun team to watch, but had struggled defending. And a lot of what they they were a threat in individual games but they, because they could win games 5-3, they could win games 3-2, but ultimately they had a relatively low ceiling because of that. I, I do like the Matt Miazga pickup. I do think that they've improved in goal. I do think, again, they'll be better defensively than they were Last year, I think that's obviously going to be a point of focus for Pat Noonan. Dan, if this can just be, I'll say like a slightly above average defense. If, if they can be the eighth best defense in the MLS Eastern Conference right now, this is a team that's getting a home playoff game in 
the Eastern Conference. And so I think that's really the only hole that they have, provided that they don't have significant injuries or end up selling one of their players and everything. You know, I think if they got them, you know, a $10 million or whatever, something for Brenner, um, keeping Brandon Vasquez away from Europe, I think is going to be a really interesting question. And do they entice him with a contract that might limit their ability uh, their flexibility elsewhere financially, I think is an interesting question. But if they just if they keep the crew, run it back, and the defense just improves by like ten percent, they'll be so much better, and they'll have so many fewer heart attacky games um, for the Bailey um, out there in Cincinnati. Dan Nashville, man, <sighs> don't sell. Your resolution is to just never sell Hadi Mukhtar because um, Hadi Mukhtar is anything and everything that Nashville SC has been in their existence. Um, I, you won the MVP last year, rightfully so. Honestly, in my opinion, it should have been his back-to-back years um, at MVP, and I thought that the narrative prevailed for MVP um, very poorly in uh, 2021. Um, I didn't think Carlos Gill was the best player in the league, and I don't think he is still um, one of the best players in the league Um but I, I think he's a very good player. Is he an MVP though? Um, should have been Honey Mukhtar then. And uh, I, you know, if if you're Nashville, do whatever you can to keep this man healthy. Do whatever you can to keep him on the field and keep him playing for your club, um, because he is a player that I don't know that they can replace. Um, he is irreplaceable. Um, they in the last couple of years that back line has lost Alistair Johnson. They've lost now Dave Romney, who's a good pair. Um, with uh, Mr. Walker Zimmerman back there. Um, you know, they add Shaq Moore in there. I'm intrigued to see a full season of Shaq Moore at right back. I'm curious what else they choose to do at center back. But, um, you know, I'm uh, in general, I I think this should still be a playoff team. They, Nashville should be a playoff team in the East easily. Um, I'm very curious to see um, how they continue to keep Hani Mokhtar one happy and well-paid in Nashville to keep him around as long as they can and to uh, keep him on the field as healthy as possible because we all know the East is a little hacky at the ankles. It's a little bit of a physical conference, uh, a lot of turf going on in that conference. And uh, I, if you're, if you're Nashville, man, just keep that, keep the star boy healthy. And I think they will be, um, should have a home playoff game, honestly, um, in 2023. Moving on to the LA Galaxy, um, Dan, what rituals could we do to remove the stink of Chris Klein? Like the, what did the Quakes do to cleanse themselves of Alexi Lawless leaving the front office? I think is they a really moved interesting. To Houston. They they moved to Houston. Okay, don't do that, Los Angeles <laughs> Galaxy. Do not become the Houston Galaxy. Um, <laughs> Okay, so um, I so it's I don't know if you've paid attention to Galaxy Twitter at all, Dan, but like the Galaxy have like just full out out openly denied like the it it's like the the question of like who is your president like what are you doing with that role and everything and who's making the decisions other than Greg Vanny doing stuff on the technical front um, that's about as. Uh, they're they're about as decisive and organized in the reports and in the on the record responses that we've got from that as we've gotten from the um, Republican Congress uh, regarding who's going to be Speaker of the House. Assuming something hasn't changed has since it, we has it come back now for nine different votes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I haven't checked Twitter on that in the last. So assuming Kevin McCarthy or somebody else hasn't been um, hasn't been elected since we hit the record button. 
on that. There's no clarity of that. So I think there's I think it's pretty clear Chris Klein's not going to be back for that. I think especially once the sanctions ultimately came down, this is a good way of removing the last stench of that and of Dennis to close and everything to where this is clearly, you know, the people that are involved now are not the people that were responsible for that failure as well. So anything they can do to cleanse that. And then lastly, I think finally getting a good center back signing, you know, Derek Williams leaving, they traded Nick Depew as well and everything. Dan, I think there's an easy argument that they haven't had a like quality, like multi-year center back in terms of performance. They haven't signed a center back who's been good for back-to-back years since Yella Van Damme. And I think there's a really solid argument. They haven't had a great center back in terms of signing how much money they were paying him and the output they were giving him since Omar Gonzalez. We're going back a decade on that front and everything. Um, Greg Vanny's a center back. Greg Vanny cares about defense. Greg Vanny, you know, got a tune out of Chris Mavinga, who they've now just signed um, when he was in Toronto. He recruited Drew Moore. They had great center backs. They had a great defense at Toronto FC if they can fix that. I, I like what they're doing in the midfield. I like the homegrowns that they've had coming in. Um, I'm still not fully convinced about Raheem Edwards, but he's fine in terms of what you're doing in a wide role. Um, and Ricky Pooch is going to absolutely ball in the midfield, and that's just going to make it easier for Chicharito to get at least 10, probably closer to 15 or 20 goals. If they can just, similar to Cincinnati, not have to rely on um, you know, winning games 3-2. And then similar to Sporting Kansas City, Dan, fix things up with their marking on set pieces and everything. Uh, LA Galaxy are going to be LA Gucci, but uh, they've got a ways to go for that. Dan, uh, speaking of teams that are moving to, <laughs> that are moving to Texas, uh, FC Dallas. Yeah, um, if you're FC Dallas, my resolution is just to uh, keep on building. Um I, I like a lot of the moves that FC Dallas made. I don't think we really got a chance to see uh, Sebastian Ojet work in the right way that I think um, they were going to get out of him. Uh, just a late a late trade in the season. You've got a lot of things going. You're you're not going to totally tinker with tactics of what's going well when Ariola and uh, Jesus Ferrer were smashing it. Um, I. I, my resolution for them is to find a way to elevate Alan Velasco. We saw flashes of Alan Velasco's greatness multiple times throughout the season, but we never saw him be the true, like the moment he gets the ball, everyone's on the edge of their seat. Like that, that did not come off to me in person. Um, that did not come off to me in terms of watching him on TV, where I felt like I, I should have expected that out of him in season one. Um, I think he's an incredible player. He's one of the most talented players that FC Dallas literally ever had set foot on their training grounds. Um, And I look forward to him hopefully potentially growing. I think he's, he's a humble enough kid that he will do the work to grow. Um, It's a matter of does it happen and does he get the time uh, to, and and is given the opportunities to take those steps forward, um, which it sometimes can be, you know, being allowed to fail. Um, I, they've got, I would love to see Alan Velasco turn into a more on the ball dominant type of player. Um, And I think with the addition of Legette, I think those possibilities exist for him down on the left wing. Um, so this is an FC Dallas team that I honestly think should be close to the top. If everybody's healthy and everybody's firing, that's a team that should be close to the top of the Western Conference tables. Speaking of Dan, 
a team that isn't going to sign a striker and doesn't spend a whole lot of money. Uh, Dan, I wish Harvey was on here with us because, like, New York Red Bulls, like, what are you? Like, we, like, they just, they, they feel so stuck in the rut of who they've been and who they've been for a decade. And, like, I have to wonder, like, at some point, like, I feel like they need Alexi Lawless to come in and say, you know, like, every single World Cup, you know, he says, if the U.S. isn't here to try and win the World Cup, then what are we even doing here? And so I just feel like the Red Bulls are, you know, a homegrown academy team that's going to play a bunch of teenagers. They're going to play a very specific style of play that is extremely effective in Major League Soccer, that they're extremely good at um, playing and finding players for. But then they might drop a million here on one particular player, but then they're never going to, you know, their ceiling and their floor are literally just the ceiling and the floor of the same building in a high rise where the top of the floor is what LAFC did this past year and the bottom and the ground floor is what DC United is and Red Bull don't stray more than like up one flight or down one flight and everything. Are they finishing seventh and winning a playoff game? Are they finishing fifth, fourth, and then losing a home playoff game and everything? And so if this is all you're going to be and all you're going to try and be, and you've been doing the exact same thing for a decade and it hasn't led to different results other than making the playoffs, like I, you know, I have to ask like, what's the point? Say what you will, Dan, about Cronky Sports Entertainment and Stan Kroenke and everything, the Rapids are trying different things. They're evolving their ideology to try and be something of a team that in their version of the Rapids can try and compete for an MLS Cup and be different from what they did last year, from what they did two years ago, from what they did in Robin Frazier's first year. And I just, I don't know, regardless of coaching staff or player or personnel or whatever 17-year-old homegrowns coming out of Red Bulls 2, that this team is going to be any different from who they are. Speaking of a team that finished just one above them in the Supporter Shield standings, but has won a trophy recently, Dan, NYCFC. NYCFC. Um, no Maxi Morales. No Hibaraujo. No... Uh, what's his face? Uh, Tati Castellanos. Um, who are ya? That's another, I mean, there's a lot of these questions. Like, there's just some teams that this has been a, this NYCFC team has been a team that is, like, you know what you're going to get out of them for the last three or four years. And I genuinely have no clue what we're going to get out of NYCFC um, this year. They've got a few uh, really solid players in that squad who were, um, you know, good some some good South American prodigies there. Yes, Talos Magno is still there. Yes, um, you know some of the other Brazilians and the Paraguayan kid whose name is escaping me um, are still on that team. I still think there's some quality in the spine. I think there's some good quality in the attack as well that's there. But you lost three glue guys that have been there forever with NYCFC, and those glue guys in my opinion, are guys that are borderline irreplaceable because they possess so many possessed so many intangible traits um, to to what was going on on the field um, in those moments. And so how do you replace that? I don't know. They haven't replaced it yet. I'm curious to see how they replace it. Um, but if you're NYCFC, my, my, my question is, who are you now? Um, because... The, the team that ran the team, Collins has not been re-signed. 
Sean Johnson has not been resigned. There's a significant pieces up to spite of this team that are going to, that were part of a championship team and part of a very dangerous team in the Open Cup and in other tournaments. Like this is a question, a major, major question in my opinion, um, uh, because this is a marquee team in a marquee market, and they've been really, really good and really, really entertaining for the last three or four years, and it's gone. So who are you? 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 Yeah. Not in the sense of who are you, because we know who NYCFC are, but who are you going to be? What's what's the new NYCFC going to be? NFC, Dan, shrugged off you know, all the badness and all the things that that came with their inaugural season in Major League Soccer, and they proved what they, they showed their quality off the field in ways that in their first year they showed their quality they show their quality on the field in 2022 in ways that they showed their quality off the field and in the stands in their inaugural season. They proved that they can be absolutely competitive, but now I want to see whether or not they can contend. They can prove they can get to the dance and then actually be there, but then obviously LAFC wiped the floor with them as well. And so I'd like to see them take that next step and how they go about it I think will be interesting. Rigoni was not good, Dan. Rigoni was was uh, Jonathan Lewis... Um, would have been a better would have been a better signing than that. At no point did he look like a competent player in MLS. I think it's I feel pretty confident Dan saying starting Ethan Finley in that Western Conference final against Los Angeles FC, they would have been better off. I still don't think they would have won the game. So can you know Rigoni, you know um, David Goss theorem in his second year in MLS first proper uh, preseason that he's had Major League Soccer with Austin better understanding um, of Josh Josh Wolf's tactics can he be the best version of himself and then similarly can the can uh, Austin FC see a renaissance uh, for Jossie's artists on the other side of thirty <coughs> excuse me <coughs> um. And then if I think they do that, I think they'll be just fine. And they, this team can absolutely contend for multiple trophies and on multiple fronts as well. Um, and if they're able to do that, then this will be the establishment of the potential super club potential that is Austin FC, as opposed to just making up the numbers or just being a team that was capable of spending money, making the playoffs and having a really good home atmosphere and a unique color in terms of the MLS jersey color rainbow palette spectrum. Thank you. Um, Dan Montreal. Ooh, New Year's resolution. Um, man, there's. If you're Montreal, you lose Jordy, you lose, uh, you lose Alistair, um, who was really good for you. You lose uh, Kone, uh, and you lose your head coach. Um, and what's left is like Kai Kamara, and I I have a lot of questions about this Montreal team. Yes. Victor Wanyama comes back. I've not seen or heard or been like terribly impressed with a lot of the signings that they've made. Um, I, 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 I don't know who their head coach is going to be. Um, have they hired a new head coach, Matt? After the Nazi left? Oh, uh, Lozada. Lozada. Yes, Fernando Lozada. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Ugh. See, they've already broken all the resolutions I would have given them. Um, Golly, by hiring Rosada. Um, if you're them, don't. I guess the resolution is simply just to not be the worst team in uh, the Eastern Conference. I don't know. Um, I, I have a lot of questions with this Montreal um, team, as I have a few of the other teams that have been here at the top of the East. Um, missing big pieces, 
we're not seeing the full picture of the other pieces they're trying to get in. Uh, we saw a lot of teams uh, this year have troubles getting players in for visa processes. And so the longer that they push that down the road, the longer I assume it takes for those players to actually arrive for them. Um, who do they get? What do they get? Uh, is it better? I don't know. Um, you know, I there are just so many question marks around this Montreal team. Um, and so I, 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 mean, I guess the question is, are you really, really, really ready to embrace Lozada Ball? And if you are, are you ready to go all in on that type of roster? Because DC United was not, to be honest. DC United did not fill Lozada with the type of players that Lozada finds success with. But Lozada had his own issues as well. So if you're Montreal, are you ready to go full Lozada? If so, when? Um, that's my resolution for them is to answer that question. Um, because I think this is a very severe question for them. Or did they just go out and get a name that was a name that people recognize and say, oh, well, we got we had this random no-name guy who goes to Columbus, and now we've got this guy who we've heard of and was stuck in a, arguably one of the worst situations in the league in terms of front office um, decision-making and expenditure in DC United. So uh, very curious to see this entire experiment in Quebec. Moving on, Philadelphia Union, Dan, I'll simply win MLS Cup. They've done everything else. They've proven everything. They came, you know, a few kicks short of it last year. Win MLS Cup. This is an MLS Cup or bus team. I don't think the Supporters' Shield matters. I don't think MLS Cup matters. Um, You know, San Union to Bethlehem Steel, whatever they're called now, to Lee's Cup and everything. Go win MLS Cup. Get that star above your snake crest. Uh, with that, Dan, LAFC, who are making signings left and right and are just the um, – Dan, it feels like LAFC are approaching like the when, – when when you take over like franchise mode in a sports video game and just turn the salary cap off. Yeah. Um, if you're LAFC, uh, don't let this be a flash in the pan. Uh, you know, there's – I don't know how much – Chiellini really had to do with them winning that title. Gareth Bale sure had a lot to do with them winning that title. Um, but it was guys like Latif Blessing, like Elie Sanchez, and like uh, Carlos Vela, who all really did the work to help them win that title. Um, a full year of Dennis Buanga, how healthy is Gareth Bale, or does he just ride off into the sunset playing the Riviera, of course, in Los Angeles every week? Um, does Chiellini still have it in him to to give up or to get to get going in MLS? Um, and you do it alongside Aaron Long. Um, I don't know. There, there's some question marks about this team for sure. Um, uh, that I, I have. I think they're very good question marks and good problems to potentially have if you're LAFC. Um, but man, that's a that's a formidable team, a formidable roster, and I think what you what you know if you're if you're them, your resolution is to repeat, um, and your resolution is to go get CCL. Um, are they were one of the in my opinions they were one of the best teams I've ever seen in CCL play um, when they got close to it during the pandemic year, but their play that they had against Leon, where on the road they were dominant, but kind of got a couple of screwy goals scored against them on the counter. They went to home uh, for the second leg against Leon and just throttled at the time. One of the best teams in, uh, in soccer um, in, in the, in the CONCACAF region and uh, throttled them, put in them back. They took care of Cruz Azul. They took care of uh, uh, America. Um, I'm sorry. They could not take care of 
No, they could. Yeah, they took care of America. They took care of Cruz Azul. They could not take care of uh, Tigres in that final. Um, and if it hadn't been for one of the worst goalkeepers that's ever played in Major League Soccer, they probably would have won that final. Um, I this team is miles better on paper than that team was, and I have a ton of questions about um, you know if this is the start of LAFC's Galax Galaxian dominance um to me the window for the lafc dynasty is wide open right now and the window for the seattle sounders is closing so do you do you pull the galaxy and do what the galaxy did in their stretch um from 2005 to 2014 right 2013 2014 can you repeat can you be the first team to repeat since the since your noisy neighbors if you're lafc those are those are the resolutions that i would have if i were them so if i'm them you aim to repeat, you aim to uh, level yourself with the quote Seattle type dynasty with the two stars above your crest in a short time. Um, do you at least get back to MLS final and, and fight for it and continue to put yourself in multiple title games in a row like Toronto FC did um, during their stretch? So they're, they are approaching the, on paper. They have the quality to be dynasty status, but are they going to be dynasty status? That question is left to be answered. And I think that's, that's the resolution is cement yourself as a true dynasty um, in major league soccer with a win. I think they do it and they continue to blow that door wide open. So um, that's their, that's their resolution, Matt. I will, I do, before we go, we, we have to acknowledge that there was not a team in the supporter shield standings last year that will be in the league this year and has pushed Nashville to the, to the East, to the West, not the East from the West to the East. Um, as Patrick, uh, star might say, um, can we, can we, can we talk St. Louis here? What's up? Well, give me, you're a, a former St. Louisian. Tell me what is your, what is your resolution for the place of toasted raviolis and a giant bent Washington monument? So I'll say I'll I'll say there's two that I have, Dan. One on the field, one off the field. This is an existing soccer market. This is an existing soccer city. This is a team who or a club who at its peak from a club culture standpoint was top five in terms of I think club culture, fan support in the USL championship. They were up there with Louisville, they were up there with Tampa, they were up there. Um, with Phoenix, they were up there with Sacramento and everything. And I haven't seen, I'm not in the market. What I saw on the live stream they had for the MLS Super Draft with the supporters in-house was positive for me. But now I think there's kind of an interesting question of the old heads, the people that have supported the lower divisions of soccer, heck, a bunch of SLU students who are in the supporters group they have at SLU, meshing in with the Johnny-come-latelys or the people that are brand new to soccer as well. And so I, I think it's interesting, you know, like the, it's almost and there's the there's the Kansas City Wizards generation, and there's a bunch of people who only know them as Sporting Kansas City when now Children's Mercy Park opened up. How does that match together? The stadium looks fantastic. The stadium's going to be sold out. Really curious to see what away sport looks like. But, you know, this could be like Austin FC level first year of like fandom and in-stadium intensity and taking over the city and everything. Or at least having a presence in the middle of the summer when the only other thing that you're competing up with is understandably, you know, Cardinals baseball, which is going to be a big thing to compete with. So that's one that I want to see. I'm fairly confident that will happen, but I want to see how long does that take to happen and does it establish itself early or does it... Uh, does it wane or does it take some time depending on where results are on the field? Because as I can attest to, um, 
when the results aren't necessarily there outside of the St. Louis Cardinals, it can be an unhealthy and not fun place to be in terms of fandom. Um, ironically, Dan, uh, one of some of the nastiest, like being an away fan on my own wearing Kings gear on the road, I had almost as bad and in like individual interactions, worst case situations with the Blues in a regular season game than my brother and I did in the upper decks of the Western Conference Finals game two against the Chicago Blackhawks. So what does that look like from a fan support i'm pretty sure matt bird the luligans everything they've got going on they're probably going to knock it out i just want to see that and you know just like as we saw with charlotte this past season i could be convinced 20 minutes into the first home game that what i'm saying right now and the fact that i'm even questioning this was blasphemy as a as a washington university and st louis alumnus second question that i have I don't know how to feel about this roster rebuild, Dan, because they've traded a bunch of international slots. They said they haven't spent a whole lot of money. They've got a GM who's relatively new to American soccer. They've got a head coach who's relatively new to American soccer. Do do they have some interesting tactical ideas? Maybe. Are they planning something for a long haul where they already know it's going to take some time and they're willing to get pieces that are going to come good in the second year or the third year rather than somebody that's going to be immediately good for them right now? But uh, just on talent alone with where they are, Dan, this is wooden spoon contender. And I I feel like from an on-field standpoint with just the precedent that we've seen and just like how many times have we – I feel like this is just another Jurassic Park movie, Dan, where it's like the, oh, how much more evidence do we have? have that doing this is a horrible idea if only we could have foreseen that cloning dinosaurs leads to people getting eaten by dinosaurs you know like um you know like the i i just you know you have to see which is how many times that we've seen this just don't be fc cincinnati that first year just like not winning the wooden spoon not finishing last in your conference is a success and right now dan i would put St. Louis City in the if if you had if I had to list four teams in it I would say those four there's still a lot of time between preseason and other signings that could happen and Houston could do something really big like two weeks before the season kicks off so there's a lot of time that happens I'm not prepared to go on the record and say just like I did with um with DC and Houston last year that they were going to be garbage I'm not prepared to say St. Louis City winning the wooden spoon but I haven't been super convinced right now and given how much like the public statements have pumped the brakes on like we're not going to be dropping five million dollar transfer fee on a guy on a DP, you know, by the end of January and everything. I don't have a whole lot of confidence that I'm going to feel differently about it. I'm with you. My resolution for them is basically don't. I think, as you mentioned, they have a significant amount of grassroots um, uh, movement behind this team. Not that the team necessarily was grassroots, but the the roots of a soccer community, as you've mentioned, already exist here. Um, If we're being completely honest with ourselves, uh, what Kansas City is now is what St. Louis was um, in the 50s, 60s, 70s as a soccer city. Um, St. Louis hasn't been that for a really long time, but the roots are there. The players are still there. The academy system is still there, and the talent is there. My question, though, is, can you avoid losing your momentum? And I think that's the resolution is to not have the results on the field, negate the momentum that you've built in terms of what's going to be there in the stands. Um, This is going to be a bad team. This is not going to team is not going to make the playoffs barring a significant injection of cash and quality to the roster within the next three months. And I say three months because 
by the time if they don't do anything in the sub winter window, this roster as is will be lucky to be at double digit points by the end of uh, April. To be honest, like I I am vastly concerned about what this roster is um, for St. Louis City FC. Um, arguably, the best player on their roster is Tim Parker, and that's not good. And I, I think there's some interesting pieces that they picked up in the expansion draft. But like this is a team that was in desperate is in desperate need of solid MLS vets to get them through to do like what a Nashville did. And the the next guy that I have on that, Dan, is Jared Stroud. That's the after after Tim Parker, like in terms of like, where, where's your Dax McCarty? Where's your Aaron Long? Not even, not even Aaron Long. Where's your Keegan Rosenberry? The next guy that I see after Tim Parker is Jared Stroud. Yeah, and I get it. We don't know a whole lot about the show. Klaus guy. We don't know a ton about. I mean, Roman Berkey is a name, um, not a great goalkeeper, but he's a name. Um, I. I, is he going to be great in MLS? I don't know about that. Um, MLS goalkeepers see a ridiculous amount of chances. Um, is he? Does he have the shot? The quick shot stopping ability. He's going to see a lot of chances against him. Does he have the shot stopping ability um, to handle that? And I don't think that he really ever showed that at Dortmund. And I'm very curious to see what it looks like now after not really playing for over a calendar year. So I I look at this team with St. Louis and I am fat significantly concerned with what I see in terms of the roster and I don't know how they're going to do it but they've got to find a way to not let the results on the field stem the momentum of the fans in the streets and the um, the commercial growth which is what they need because they lost their largest sponsor and like they literally I mean it it's a massive financial hit that they're taking in losing Centene out um, in the in the manner that they have, and I know Purina is a a good brand. It's a brand that's existed forever, but there aren't a lot of other St. Louis companies to do that. And I don't know who else is ready to step up and do that. A lot of people will surmise Enterprise, but then that's like your ownership sponsoring yourself. So, like I I have I I I am a little bit concerned about the viability of the St. Louis project if it goes poorly. Be on the field because of what it might mean for them commercially, and that should be a concern. I think not only for the St. Louis folks, but for MLS folks. Yeah. Um. Uh, two things that I want to say, Dan. First of all, this does reopen up the idea that I had for a sponsorship for them to be a St. Louis Breadco. Uh, like you could have Breadco Park, but then away supporters could refer to it as Panera. So ah uh, uh. And then uh the the. You know, I know we just poo-pooed the roster and everything, and we're not convinced of the DPs and spending a bunch of money on a goalkeeper when, you know, there there was another, Dan, there was certainly another Brad Stuver available in the uh, MLS expansion draft, and they chose not to go that route. Maybe we'll be proven wrong, uh, and maybe this is going to be the the rice and bowly of the MLS Western Conference this year, but just one other player to look at if we're looking at, like, um, guys with European experience, like U22 thing, uh, Nicholas Giochini, like, if the DPs are absolutely a flop, I'm really curious to see does, you know, you know, does he get, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred minutes? Can he get five to seven goals or something? That's one player that I have a curiosity about that for me will make this team worth at least semi paying attention to or checking the box score and then seeing what highlights had as well. You know, where I would say that, you know, the first year of 
Like there, there was nothing good about the first year of FC Cincinnati that made them like redeemable or like the one player that was actually fun to watch. Like say what you will about Charlotte and everything. Like Swindersky was fun. Say what you will about Austin FC. Um, you know, uh, uh, Cecilio was fun to watch. Watching the renaissance, uh, the revitalization of Fagundo Torres was fun. So I think that's where like one player standing out or having a narrative or an arc that is fun or interesting or unique as well could give the fan base something to latch on to in the way that Austin FC had, in the way that Charlotte certainly had with Ben Bender, for example. I don't know that it's obvious who that player is. They haven't played any games yet, but I think Gio Kini could be could be a certain option. Dan, we've been going for like an hour, 40 minutes. Like we've got no last words. Like we're, we're out of here, right? Okay. Okay. Uh, check out, check us out wherever you get your podcast. Just search LWS radio or last word on sports or anything. Um, check us out on the socials at last word FC at last word SC and last word on sports.com. Um, listeners, we'll see you next time. Dan, it's still preseason. So uh, give it another couple weeks, folks, before we're back to the weekly biweekly rhythm. Um, like many MLS teams, we're in preseason and getting our fitness back. But uh, Dan, it was a good run out. Um, let's get this. Uh, let's get this thing. Yeah, let's uh, get this thing out. Thank you very much for listening, listeners, and Happy New Year.